Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, December 11th, 2023. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. On the front page of the Courier today, above the fold, the big headline is Zelensky to visit U.S. And then this other story, there's only two today on the front page. This one is Haley in Iowa draws contrasts with Trump in race for president. And we'll start out with that one since it's local. And it shows a photo of Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley. And she's surrounded by a group of people. Um, They are gathered around a really big tractor, a John Deere. And she's speaking during her campaign event at the Manning Ag Service in Waukee on Sunday. This is Dateline Waukee. This is from Aaron Murphy. For Sam Wells, an Iowa man in his 70s, who describes himself as a formerly lifelong no-party voter who plans to participate in the Iowa Republican caucuses for the first time, Nikki Haley thread the needle just right when talking about former President Donald Trump. Wells was one of roughly 200 people who came to hear Haley, the Republican presidential candidate and former U.N. ambassador, and South Carolina governor, speak at a campaign event held Sunday afternoon at a trucking and farming business just outside this western Des Moines suburb. Haley, as she has previously on the campaign trail said, she said Trump was, quote, the right president at the right time, unquote, and that she agrees with a lot of his policies. But Haley also, as she has more recently on the stump said, that chaos follows Trump and that she does not want to get into the personal attacks that are a staple of Trump's style of campaigning and governing. Haley served as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under then-President Trump. Quote, The way she approaches Trump is absolutely the right way to do it. Not get personal, talk about the issues and how to correct them, Wells said after hearing Haley speak. She was very positive. There wasn't anything I didn't like. Trump has held a consistently commanding lead over the rest of the Republican presidential candidates in polling, both nationally and in Iowa. In those polls, Haley and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are working to close that gap. Trump's polling average in Real Clear Politics rolling average of Iowa polls is 47.3%. DeSantis is at 187 and Haley, 15.7. In similar polling metrics on the data journalism website 538.com, Trump is at 45.9, DeSantis, 19.7, Haley, 17.5. Wells said, if Trump and Biden are the nominees for the 2024 presidential election, he will vote third party for either Robert Kennedy Jr. or retiring Democratic U.S. Senator Joe Manchin. Kennedy started out running for president as a Democrat and has since mounted an independent campaign. And since announcing he will not run for re-election to the U.S. Senate, Manchin has not ruled out running for president as an independent candidate. Wells, who lives in West Des Moines, said he came to Sunday's event about 80% sure he will support Haley in the January 15, First in the Nation, Iowa Republican caucuses. That number went up after hearing Haley speak, he said. Quote, being a woman, she brings a different perspective for how to attack problems, he said. We are in chaos as a country, and we cannot have another year 
of chaos. Phyllis Johnson, also from West Des Moines, needed even less convincing. Johnson said she was the first in her friend group to get behind Haley and has since volunteered to help the Haley campaign in Iowa. Quote, I think she's amazing. She addresses things without getting personal, Johnson said, adding that she believes Haley would, as president, be able to bring Americans together. Underlying the work left to be done for Haley and any Republican presidential candidate in Iowa, one woman in the crowd declined to be interviewed, but said she came to hear Haley because she's trying to choose between Haley and DeSantis. Haley, early in her remarks, asked how many in the crowd were hearing her speak for the first time. At least half of the crowd raised their hands. Haley closed the event with a plea to those who liked what they heard to spread the word about our campaign. Quote, I've been underestimated in everything I've ever done, and it's a blessing because it makes me scrappy, she said. The quote continues, No one will outwork me in this race. No one will outsmart me in this race because we have a country to save. And now, because we don't read on uh, the Courier on the weekends, I'm going to go back through Saturday's and Sunday's papers to find stories that are more local. This is from Saturday's Courier. Front page, Las Vegas shooter wants a UNI instructor. instructor rather. Anthony Polito worked at the university in 2000 and 2001. Dateline Las Vegas. The suspect in a shooting that killed three people at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas on Wednesday was a longtime business professor who taught at the University of Northern Iowa from 2000 to 2001. The Associate Press identified the suspect as Anthony Polito. The 67-year-old man is suspected of fatally shooting three people and wounding another. He was a professor who unsuccessfully sought a job at the school. A law enforcement officer with direct knowledge of the investigation told the Associated Press, he was killed in a shootout with law enforcement officers at Beam Hall at the Lee School of Business, said Clark County Sheriff Kevin McMahill. A name had not been released by the Metropolitan Police Department, UNLV, or the Clark County Coroner's Office. Those dead or deceased included at least two business professors, Shajane Jerry Chang, age 64, Patricia navarro Velez, age 39, according to the Clark County Coroner's Office. The Coroner's Office said the third victim has been identified, but relatives have not yet been notified. According to his LinkedIn profile, as reported in the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Polito's longest academic position was at the East Carolina University at Greenville, North Carolina, where he served as a professor from 2001 to 2017, as well as an earlier stint in the early 1990s. Prior to Eastern Carolina, he taught at the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls and at the Terry College of Business at the University of Georgia in the 90s. A statement from UNI on Thursday noted, quote, Our Human Resources Department has confirmed the following information regarding Tony Polito. Bullets follow. Um, bullet point, hired in January 2000 as a visiting instructor, temporary, to teach a 12-hour load in spring 2000 and fall 2000 for the management department in the College of Business Administration. Next bullet point. In January 2001, his visiting instructor appointment was extended through the spring 2001 semester. 
No one in UNI's David W. Wilson College of Business, contacted by the Courier on Thursday, had any recollection of him, but another shooting on a college campus still hit close to home. Mary Connerly, Associate Dean of the College of Business, said she was startled by the situation and felt terrible for the victims and the campus reeling from the tragedy. Quote, We go through the hiring process all the time, and this makes you reflect on what can go wrong, she said. On Wednesday, terrified students and professors cowered in classrooms and dorms as a gunman roamed the floors of a University of Nevada, Las Vegas building. Investigators searched an apartment in Henderson, Nevada, late Wednesday as part of the investigation and retrieved several electronic devices, including Polito's cell phone, the official said. The official was not authorized to discuss details of the investigation and spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity. The attack terrified a city that experienced the deadliest shooting in modern history in October 2017 when a gunman killed 60 people and wounded more than 400 after opening fire from the window of a room at the Mandalay Bay Casino on Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Strip, a couple of miles from the UNLV campus. Lessons learned from that shooting helped authorities work seamlessly in reacting to the UNLV attack, said Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Sheriff Kevin McMahill. The gunman opened fire about 11.45 a.m. Wednesday on the fourth floor of the building that houses UNLV's Lee Business School and then went to several other floors before he was killed in a shootout with two university police detectives outside the building said UNLV Police Chief Adam Garcia. Authorities gave the all-clear about 40 minutes after the first report of an active shooter. It wasn't immediately clear how many of the school's 30,000 students were on campus at the time, but McMahill said students had been gathered outside the building to eat and play games. If police had not killed the attacker, it could have been countless additional lives taken, he said. No student should have to fear pursuing their dreams on a college campus, the sheriff said. Police did not immediately identify the attacker's motive. They also didn't say what kind of weapon was used, although some witnesses reported hearing as many as 20 shots fired. UNLV professor Kaveni Martin took cover under a desk in her classroom, where another faculty member and three students took shelter with her. Quote, it was terrifying. I can't even begin to explain, Martin said. I was trying to hold it together for my students and trying not to cry, but the emotions are something I never want to experience again, unquote. Martin said she was texting friends and loved ones, hoping to receive word that a suspect had been detained. When another professor came to the room and told everyone to evacuate, they joined others rushing out of the building. Martin had her students pile into her car and she drove them off campus. Once we got away from UNLV, we just parked and sat in silence. Nobody said a word. We were in utter shock. Selena Guevara said she got a phone call from her daughter, Marquis Montoya, who was in class in the building and heard gunshots, screaming, and yelling, but was not hurt. She was hysterical, telling me I love you, and she was so scared, Guevara said. Another student, Jordan Eckerman, age 25, said he was in his business law class in a second-floor classroom when he heard a loud bang and a piercing alarm went off, sending students to their feet. Some ran from the room in panic, 
while others heeded their professor's instructions to stay calm, Eckerman said. He walked out and locked eyes with a law enforcement officer in a bulletproof vest holding a long gun. Clothing, backpacks, and water bottles lay scattered on the floor. Eckerman said he mouthed to the officer, Where do I go? The officer pointed to an exit. Minutes later, when he was outside, Eckerman said he heard bursts of gunshots, totaling at least 20 rounds. The air smelled like gunpowder. He said he kept walking away from campus, even though he didn't know where to go. Classes were canceled through Friday at the university, and UNLV's basketball game at the University of Dayton, Ohio, was canceled Wednesday night because of the shootings. On his personal website, under the heading Personal Profile, Polito, the shooter, wrote the following, quote, Hard to believe, looking back, but I had the pleasure of making more than two dozen trips to Vegas over the last 15 years. I don't gamble that much, but there is plenty to do there, that's for sure. Over those years, my steel trap mind collected more information and trivia about Vegas than probably anyone in this state east of I-95, at least, unquote. Courier reporter Andy Malone contributed to this story. Associated Press reporters Terry Tang, W.G. Ramirez, Russ Bynum, Mike Balsamo, and Robert Jablone in Los Angeles also contributed to this story, and that story was from the front page of Saturday's uh, Courier. Another story from Saturday's Courier. Um, we always try to stay local as much as possible first. This is uh, Dateline New Hampton. Opioid death brings prison sentence. A former New Hampton man has been sentenced to federal prison in an opioid overdose that killed his friend in 2020. Taryn Scott Lechtenberg, age 24, had given Jace uh, Kathamal, I'm going to spell that for you, K-A-J-T-H-A-M-L, had given them what they believed was a small blue prescription Percocet pill, which contains oxycodone. In reality, the pill contained fentanyl a stronger drug, according to court records. Um, Jace, age 19, of Ionia, died within hours. Lechtenberg was sentenced to 13 years on a charge of distribution of fentanyl, resulting in death during a hearing in U.S. District Court in Cedar Rapids on Tuesday. Following prison, he will be on supervised release for three years. He was also ordered to pay $8,182.45 in restitution to the family. Lechtenberg's attorney asked for leniency, arguing that the incident was addiction-driven. Quote, Lechtenberg himself is an addict. In this case, he too ingested the narcotics, which ultimately killed the victim herein. Unquote. Defense attorney Chad Fries argued in court records. Um, the attorney continues, quote, this is not a situation where Either Lechtenberg or the victim were knowingly ingesting fentanyl with the idea that they could handle the substance. It was truly unknown to them, unquote. He also noted that Lechtenberg went for help when he noticed his friend was in trouble. Prosecutors resisted, saying Lechtenberg was selling what were supposed to be Xanax and Percocet pills and other drugs, including uh, THC wax and psilocybin mushrooms. Quote, the United States does not assert that defendant was a major drug dealer or that he ran a drug trafficking organization, but he was actively involved in the marketing and selling multiple drugs for profit, said Assistant U.S. Attorney Dan Chatham. 
The bogus Percocet came from a supplier in California in deals arranged over Snapchat. Lechtenberg then advertised the drugs on Snapchat. July 29, 2020, Lechtenberg gave the victim a portion of a small blue pill at Lechtenberg's home. Other friends arrived and the victim left with them. The others soon noticed that the victim looked pale. He lost consciousness. They tried sternum rubs with no results. Meanwhile, Lechtenberg sent the victim a message telling him not to tell the others that he had taken Perk. One of the friends from the car contacted Lechtenberg about the victim's condition, and Lechtenberg told them to bring him back to his house, according to court records. They placed him in a chair in the backyard and left him with Lechtenberg. Lechtenberg sent a message to the friends joking that the victim had died, then added JKLOL, which means just kidding, laughing out loud. After what prosecutors said were several hours, he and another friend loaded the victim into his car and began driving to the hospital. A Chickasaw County Sheriff's deputy noticed him speeding, then stopping and heading toward the squad car to ask for help, records state. An ambulance was summoned and the deputy began trying to revive the victim. He was later pronounced dead and an autopsy determined that he died of acute fentanyl intoxication, records state. The government noted that his friend's overdose was not the first time one of Lechtenberg's customers had a bad reaction, nor was it the last. In July 2020, he sold a perk pill to two women for $30. One woman felt numb and itchy and started to fall asleep. The other turned pale and threw up before drifting off to sleep, according to court records. Then, in October 2020, months after the death, Lechtenberg was at another friend's home in Fredericksburg when that friend became unresponsive. Lechtenberg notified the friend's mother and left, according to court records. Lechtenberg lost consciousness while driving and crashed. His vehicle then caught fire. Back at the house, authorities used several doses of Narcan on the friend, who did recover. The friend told officers... Lechtenberg, and he had split a blue perk pill, court records state. The case was investigated by the Chickasaw County Sheriff's Office, the Iowa Division of Narcotics Enforcement, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and was prosecuted by Assistant U.S. Attorneys Dan Chatham and Jason Norwood. Another article from Saturday's Courier, Canadian National to Acquire Iowa Iowa Northern Railway for expansion. Canadian National is buying a small, Waterloo-based railroad in Iowa to expand its network in the United States. CN announced the agreement to buy Iowa Northern Railway on Wednesday, but did not disclose financial terms. The U.S. Service Surface Transportation Board must approve the transaction next year before it can be completed. Iowa Northern has about 275 miles of track, serving a mix of agricultural and industrial shippers in the state. Iowa Northern Chairman Daniel Sabine said he believes CN will maintain his railway's commitment to providing reliable service while helping connect shippers with bigger markets. CN CEO Tracy Robinson said the deal should strengthen the Montreal-based railroad. CN is already one of North America's six biggest railroads with more than 18,000 miles of track, 
across Canada and the United States. Quote, By enabling all of us to play an even more important role in this critical supply chain and de- uh, rather densifying our southern network, we are accelerating, accelerating rather sustainable, profitable growth, said Robinson. Iowa Northern Railway Company was formed in 1984 on a section of the old Chicago, Rock Island, and Pacific Railroad Company. The railroad line runs diagonally northwest to southeast, from Manly to Cedar Rapids, with a branch line going from Waterloo to Olwine and a branch line going from Forest City to Belmont. And another article from Saturday's Courier, Board to Name Architect for New High School. Dateline Waterloo. The Board of Education Monday will consider approving InVision as the architectural firm to design a new high school at the Central Middle School slash Waterloo Career Center campus. The board meets 5 p.m. in the Education Service Center at 1516 Washington Street. It doesn't say what day. The proposed merger of East and West High Schools announced last month would create a single 10 through 12 grade building for Waterloo Community Schools. Envision, based in Waterloo, is also the firm that designed the new Cedar Falls High School, as well as the Career Center and Hoover Middle School. Public forums to discuss the merger will start in January. In other business, the board will hold a public hearing on the proposed HVAC system upgrade at the Education Service Center and approve seeking bids. The improvements include two units and an estimated cost of $51,375. This will include updates to the heating and cooling equipment throughout the building, along with the necessary electrical distribution updates required to support the new equipment. Bids would come before the board in January. After approval, installation would occur in May. Consider approving the purchase. They will also consider approving the purchase of three trucks for the maintenance department at a total cost of $136,166. Trucks would be purchased via the State of Iowa Vehicle Contract Catalog. They will also see newly elected member Jonathan Cox be officially installed as the or in the district director district two seat. Stacy Mills and Lyle Schmidt will be reinstalled as at-large board members, while Jesse Knight will be installed again for Director District 3. All members will be serving another four-year term. And consider naming the new Irving Elementary School playground for former school board member Endia Johnson, or Endia Johnson, who died in October. She was part of the board from 2017 to 2023. She was an employee of the Waterloo Public Library for more than 16 years. Upon board approval, signage will be added to the playground and a dedication ceremony will take place in the spring. And our next story from Saturday's Courier. Different versions for College Hill, different visions rather, for College Hill expressed. Dateline Cedar Falls. It's been a long and winding road spanning a half dozen years for the pending vision for revitalizing College Hill. Attorney Ishan Vajpayee, that's V-A-J-P-E-Y-I, 
spoke Monday to the city council on behalf of the concerned citizens of College Hill. It's a group of primarily landlords who, he says, control an estimated 700 bedrooms. Current and former business owners and others who don't, quote, like the way the hill is and don't like the direction for revitalization, unquote. He says his group, not part of the College Hill Partnership, opposes those pushing for what he argues will lead to College Hill becoming an, quote, underparked congested area, unquote. It seeks to put you and the next city council in the impossible position of being seen as anti-College Hill if you don't adopt their entire slate of proposals, Vajpayee contended uh, about the proposed vision plan debated for months. He said if the vision plan is adopted, the new zoning will be a foregone conclusion. Developer Brent Dahlstrom pushed back against those concerns in a telephone interview Friday. He's a supporter of form-based zoning, which would allow for higher residential density and little to no parking in a push for more walkable communities. Quote, I think other communities have had great success with form-based zoning, like Iowa City and Des Moines and other communities across the country, he said. He's been involved in building and owns three prominent buildings in the Hill Business District, as well as at least five properties on College Street. Quote, when you think about College Hill or Main Street, you think about the places or uh, the places that we love because we can walk around, especially on College Hill, where the vast majority of those people that are up there or are living up there are walking to and from college, to and from college each day, said Dahlstrom. He argues that all the buildings constructed on College Hill the last four decades came with very few, if any, parking stalls. How could you? It's a dense area of buildings, and that's what makes it special, right? He said. From his time as a student at the University of Northern Iowa, there isn't this great memory of having a great parking spot. There's a memory of walking around with your friends and enjoying the different places. Dahlstrom noted respect for Vajpayee, but called him, quote, a paid lobbyist for landlords on College Hill who were concerned with competition coming their way and charged with stopping the revitalization of College Hill. Vajpayee has said it's a little bit of a coincidence that Dahlstrom and others' properties have code violations that go unsighted and nothing's been built since a 2019 parking study brought forward the necessary parking requirements. He thinks they're, quote, biding their time to see if they can get a better deal on the parking. Is it correlation, causation, coincidence? I don't know, but there just hasn't been a lot of development on the Hill recently, the attorney said. He pinpointed Dahlstrom as, quote, the person behind the first development on the Hill that was problematic with the parking, and the second building proposed was him again, unquote. Dahlstrom said he absolutely plans to construct that second building, which would have an L-shaped design with apartments and retail, in 2024, whether or not the zoning is overhauled. It was proposed in 2018 as taking up three properties. They are 2119 College Street, 1003 West 22nd, and the former Ginger's Bar location at 922 West 22nd. The first multi-use building was constructed in 2017. It's called Urban Flats, and it's at 917 West 23rd. 
That first building slipped through the cracks when Vajpayee said staff decided that the building code allowed for dozens or hundreds of bedrooms to be built on top of a commercial space requiring zero parking. This highlights a systematic problem or a systemic problem existing in our city's government, a staff-driven government with too much autonomy and deference. City staff can present anything, quote, that will gain support from officials and other citizen decision-makers because of, of an old unspoken adage around these chambers, quote, if it's okay with staff, it's okay with me, unquote. Amanda Huseman, a city spokesperson, pointed to past meetings when the process for the vision plan was described. The council approved a consultants for the process involving public input. It also discussed the plan's area and identified priorities later adopted by resolution. Quote, following plan adoption, no action has been taken to revise zoning for the plan's recommendations in this area following the council's direction, she said. The vision plan had been a constant source of debate leading up to the election after a process unfolded leading to form-based zoning in downtown. The plan, in its conclusion, states that community vision will lay the foundation for tailoring the city's new form-based regulations specifically to implement, implement the College Hill vision plan. Vajpayee said his group, quote, feared wholesale adoption of this plan. Form-based zoning would be rammed through as consistent with the visioning plan regardless of whether, in and of itself, it was the appropriate or correct solution to what ails the hill, unquote. The council previously adopted the plan, but most recently it was rescinded in a 4-3 vote, which was vetoed by Major or Mayor Rob Green. The council then overrode his veto, action requiring a supermajority, and that took a 5-2 vote. Councilmember Gil Schultz was the flip-flop because he agreed with pushes for revitalization, but he wanted to reduce the plan's scope to an area most people referred to as College Hill. Three new members will take seats on the council in January, and Danny Laudick will be sworn in as the new mayor. That may lead to the plan being brought back to the table for another vote. And that brings us to the halfway point of the reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, December 11th, 2023. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and here's a reminder that you're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. And now we'll turn to obituaries. Our first obituary, uh, Nicholas John Weber age 76 of Jessup, passed away at his home, surrounded by family on Tuesday, December 5. Uh, visitation is tonight, um, or today, 3 to 7 p.m., at St. Athanasius Catholic Church, with a rosary at 3 p.m. Uh, that will be conducted by the 4th degree Knights of Columbus in a service, a vigil, beginning at 6 Funeral services will happen Tuesday, December 12th at the same church, Athanasius Catholic Church in Jessup. Uh, funeral services will be at 1030, um, and military rites will be conducted. Next we have Sue Lehman, that's L-E-H-M-A-N, 
met the Lord December 5 at the age of 91. Um, services for Sue, private family services, and a burial will take place in the Fredsville Lutheran Church Cemetery. Doris May Maurer, M-A-U-E-R, age 89, died Monday, December 4, at uh, the New Aldea Lifescapes, located in Cedar Falls. Uh, funeral services, Thursday, December 28, at the College Hill Lutheran Church in Cedar Falls. So funeral service is at 11. Um, on Thursday, visitation will take place Wednesday from 4 to 6 at the Richardson Funeral Service. Um, with a gathering of friends and family at the Cedar Falls Woman's Club immediately following uh, visitation. Connie Williams, age 56, of Waterloo, um, passed away November 30 at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics in Iowa City. Um, she worked for the International Paper Company. And services will be... Uh, Visitation 10 to 11 a.m. on Friday at Lock at Tower Park in Waterloo. And services will be at 11 a.m. Friday at Lock at Tower Park in Waterloo. Dorothy Irene Berger, uh, age 98, uh, passed away Tuesday, December 5 at Unity Point Health Allen Hospital. Um, Services, let's see, services will be 10.30, okay, services have already happened today, and you can read more at Haggerty Way, services have already occurred. K. Nell Patterson, age 87, Cedar Falls, uh, passed away Monday, December 4 at Friendship Village Wellspring Living in Waterloo. Services have already occurred. Scott Allen Hahn, that's H-A-H-N, 60 years old, uh, passed away December 2nd. Services will be a celebration of life Saturday, December 16, from 2 to 4 p.m. at the Fraternal Order of the Eagles, at 202 First Street in Waterloo. Pauline R. Reinke, that's R-E-I-N-C-K-E, age 75 of Waterloo, passed away December 6th at her home. Uh, visitation, December 12th at The Lock at 4th Street in Waterloo. And visitation will take place from 5 to 7. Uh, funeral services, will be the following day at the same place, beginning at 10.30. Shirley Dooley, uh, age 72 of Waterloo, passed away Friday, November 24, at the Madrid home. Um, memorial service will take place on Saturday, December 16, 2 p.m. at the lock at Tower Park. Visitation will occur one hour prior to the service. Franklin Frank Rowe, R-O-E, age 89, of Waterloo, passed away Tuesday, December 5, at his home. Uh, visitation 
will be today, Monday, from 4 to 7 at the Haggerty Wacoff Grow-Up Funeral Service on West Ridgeway. Uh, that will be from 4 to 7. And at 7 o'clock, there will be a moment of sharing. And at 7.30, a family-led rosary. A mass of Christian burial will take place December 12th. Sacred Heart Catholic Church at 10.30 a.m. with burial to follow at the Mount Olivet Cemetery. And our final obituary today, Jean Gilson, age 77, of Waterloo, passed away Tuesday, December 5, at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Um, services have already occurred. And turning to opinions, we have one letter to the editor. This was in Saturday's paper. This is from Ron Eilenfeld of Waterloo, and he writes, With Hanukkah underway, let's don't forget our friends in Jerusalem. We have to remember Israel has been in the land of has been in the land of milk and honey for more than three thousand years. They are not going anywhere. Israel will defeat this terrorist enemy. It will take time and continued help from America. May these Hanukkah lights help Israel and America find a way to get all the hostages back home. I sign my name as a friend of Israel. And that is from Ron Eilenfeld of Waterloo. And now we'll take a look at the sports page for today. Starting with some uh, men's college basketball. Thankful Bronny James makes college debut in Southern Cal loss. Games come, game comes rather five months after cardiac arrest. Dateline Los Angeles. Bronny James showed off his defensive skills in his college debut for Southern California nearly five months after he suffered a cardiac arrest and expressed gratitude for the doctors and family who supported him. He had four points, three rebounds, and two assists on Sunday, coming off the bench in front of his superstar father, LeBron James. I just want to say I'm thankful for everything, Bronny James said afterward in brief comments to a horde of media. He thanked the Mayo Clinic where he received treatment, as well as his parents, his siblings, coach Andy Enfeld, Field rather, and his teammates during this hard time in my life. He left without taking any questions. The Trojans lost in overtime to Long Beach State, 84-79. James walked off with his deflated teammates and didn't greet his father, who sat courtside. He logged 16 minutes, including starting the five-minute extra session, but he wasn't a factor then before coming out for the last time. He was one of three shooting, hitting a three-pointer in the second half. His biggest impression came on defense. All of James's rebounds were on the defensive glass, and he had two steals. I thought Bronny played well, Enfield said. He defended at a high level. He guarded the quick ball handlers on the other team pretty well. James was quick to pass to his teammates, even when it appeared he could have taken a shot. Enfield said James's minutes would continue to be monitored by USC's uh, medical staff. He played six minutes in the first half when the Trojans led 45-30 at the break. In his second three-minute stint, James made a huge block again, uh, on Jaden Jones, who was streaking to the basket on a fast break riling up the fans. James assisted on a dunk by Vincent Iwu Chuchkwu, who 
who also suffered cardiac arrest as a freshman. He returned to play 14 games last season. It's great to see Bronny out there. He's put a lot of work in the gym. We talked before the game, and I told him to go out there and have fun. Um, James entered the game for the first time about seven minutes in, with some in the crowd standing and cheering. He missed his first shot, a three-point attempt. Moments before, he tipped the ball away from a Long Beach State player, but the visitors got it back. The possession ended in a shot clock violation for the beach. James also snagged a rebound. He makes the right play all the time, said Boogie Ellis, USC's top guard. Everybody wants a guy like that on their team. He defends well at a high level. LeBron James arrived seconds before the national anthem, holding hands with nine-year-old daughter Zuri, and he tapped his son's rear as he passed the Trojans, who were lined up across the court for the anthem. It was exciting for everybody to see him out there, Enfield said, and I'm sure his family was the most excited. The NBA was well represented in the game. One of James' teammates is DJ Rodman, son of Dennis Rodman, who fouled out. The Beaches roster includes Chase Polonice, the son of 15-year NBA veteran Olden Polonice. James joined his teammates for on-court warm-ups 90 minutes before tip-off. Wearing a white USC shirt and red sweatpants, he took a variety of jumpers under the watchful lenses of a baseline full of photographers. Students lined up around one side of Galen Center and down an adjacent street waiting to get inside. Although there were pockets of empty seats in the 10,258-seat arena, James Debut helped the Trojans draw their largest crowd this season of 9,806. He suffered cardiac arrest on July 20 during a workout at Gallon Center. He was found to have a congenital heart defect that was treatable. And there's a photo with this article. It shows Bronnie James... Um, passing a ball, and behind him, standing up in the stands, is his dad, yelling, uh, LeBron James. Major League Baseball. Japanese fans waiting for more as Otani cashes in. Dateline, Tokyo. Now that Shohei Otani has his money, a record $700 million 10-year contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers, Some fans in Japan are waiting for one more thing to complete the deal. I want Otani to play in the World Series, said Ishin Watanabe, who is a baseball fan, and they were speaking on Sunday near Tokyo's famous Ginza shopping area. That's my hope, he added. Baseball fans across Tokyo lined up on Sunday to buy special editions of the Yomiuri newspaper that was announcing Otani's move across town from the Los Angeles Angels to the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is perhaps the largest contract in sports history, topping highs believed to be set by soccer soccer stars Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe. Otani is likely to only play this coming season as a designated hitter as he recovers from surgery that is expected to keep him from pitching. I think Otani will return to the two-way role the year after next said Watanabe, the fan. I want him to be the home run king next year. Otani is a bigger-than-life hero in Japan, the country's most famous athlete who has stoked national pride by reaching the pinnacle of a game beloved by 
many Americans and Latin Americans. One fan noted that Otani's salary is more than the entire player payroll for at least one Japanese professional team. He used the SoftBank Hawks of Fukuoka as that example. That sounds like a dream, said Yuto Manabe, also speaking in Ginza. Fans in Japan's northeastern prefecture of Iwate, where Otani grew up and went to high school, also celebrated by buying extra editions of the local newspaper. I've been following Otani since his high school years, one told Japanese news agency Kyoto. I want to cheer him wherever he is. Kyoto reported that fans gathered at Otani's high school and took photographs of a monument that shows his handprint. Japanese fans have already been following Otani intently through television and other media, but this move is sure to raise his profile even higher with advertisers and sponsors who focus on the Japan Japan market. Otani is one of the most marketable athletes in the world, driving ticket sales, television revenue, and sponsorship deals. I'm so happy I had been waiting for this announcement since yesterday, said Sho Sato, who works as a nurse. I've been waiting for this since yesterday, and so has all of the baseball world. And then it shows a photo of a person wearing a mask reading an extra edition of the newspaper reporting on Otani's move to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And now we'll go through the NFL roundup in today's Courier. Uh, First one, Cleveland. Joe Flacco threw for 311 yards and three touchdowns in his home debut for Cleveland, and the Browns survived a late rally by Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars for a 31-27 win. The 38-year-old Flacco, who was only signed three weeks ago by the Browns, delivered the kind of performance he had almost annually as a visitor with Baltimore. Flacco went 26 of 45 and improved to 10-2 as a starter in Cleveland. Lawrence played despite spraining his right ankle Monday night. He threw a season-high three interceptions before bringing the Jags back in the fourth quarter. Next, Bills 20, Chiefs 17. Josh Allen threw for 233 yards with touchdowns running and throwing. The Bills kicked a go-ahead field goal with 1 minute 54 to go, and thanks to a crucial penalty on Chiefs wide receiver Kadarius Tony, Buffalo held on to win in Kansas City. The Chiefs thought they'd taken the lead with less than two minutes remaining when Patrick Mahomes hit Travis Kelsey over the middle and the high school quarterback threw far across the field to Tony, who ran the rest of the 49 yards for a touchdown. Only one problem, Tony had lined up offside, and the penalty wiped out that play. Bears 28, Lions 13. Justin Fields threw for a touchdown and ran for another, and host Chicago played its most impressive game of the season, beating NFC North-leading Detroit. Receiver DJ Moore had his first career-rushing touchdown and caught a scoring pass to help Chicago win for the third time in four games. Ravens 37, Rams 31 in overtime. Tylen Wallace returned a punt, 76 yards for a touchdown in overtime, to lift host Baltimore over Los Angeles snapping the Rams' three-game winning streak. Jets 30, 
Texans 6. Zach Wilson threw a pair of second-half touchdown passes in his return from a two-game benching. Um, host New York shut down C.J. Stroud before Houston's star rookie quarterback left late with a concussion, and the Jets ended a five-game losing streak. Wilson had 26 of 36 for 301 yards. Bengals 34, Colts, Colts 14. Jake Browning threw two touchdown passes and ran for another in his second straight outstanding performance for Cincinnati, which pounded Indianapolis at home. Saints 28, Panthers 6. Derek Carr returned from a recent concussion and upper body injuries to throw touchdown passes to Chris Olave or Olave and Jimmy Graham and host New Orleans to beat hapless Carolina. 49ers 28, Seahawks 16. Debo Samuel scored on a catch and a run as host San Francisco won its 11th straight division game, beating Seattle. Broncos 24, Chargers 7. Russell Wilson threw two touchdowns and Denver won at the Chargers after Los Angeles lost quarterback Justin Herbert due to a finger injury in the first half. Wilson completed 21 of 33 for 224 yards, including a 46-yard touchdown to Cortland Sutton in the third quarter. Vikings 3, Raiders 0. Minnesota and Las Vegas played the lowest-scoring NFL game in 16 years, with Greg Joseph's 36-yard field goal lifting the Vikings on the road. Buccaneers 29, Falcons 25. Baker Mayfield threw an 11-yard touchdown pass to Cade Otten with 31 seconds remaining, capping a wild fourth quarter that pushed Tampa Bay into a tie for first place in the NFC South by winning at Atlanta. And Cowboys 33, Eagles 13. Dak Prescott threw for two touchdowns, Brandon Aubrey made four field goals, and Dallas beat Philadelphia for its 15th straight home win. Aubrey extended his NFL record by going 30 for 30 on field goals to start his career. And turning to some entertainment news, television Q&A. Will there be new episodes of Antiques Roadshow? Question. Now that the COVID epidemic is behind us, I'm hoping that they will resume production of new episodes of Antiques Roadshow. Do you know whether the show will return? Answer. The long-running PBS series will begin a new season January 8th. The show says the season will feature presentations at distinctive historic venues, including Alaska Native Heritage Center in Anchorage, Old Sturbridge Village in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, the LSU Rural Life Museum in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh, and Stan Hywitt Hall and Gardens in Akron, Ohio. Question. I just watched No Hard Feelings, and I was surprised to see the nudity. Was it Jennifer Lawrence or a body double? Answer. It was Jennifer Lawrence. She did her own nude scene in this R-rated comedy. I didn't even have a second thought, she told Variety. It was hilarious to me. She said that people around her made certain that there were no concerns about her decision. Everyone in my life and my team was doing the right thing and going, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure? 
Question. Is the actor who plays Sonny's right-hand man, Brick, on General Hospital the same person as the Stephen Smith who does Stephen's A-list for ESPN? Or are they brothers? They look so much alike. Answer. The Stephen A. Smith, known for his work on ESPN, is also the Stephen A. Smith who did play Brick in about three dozen episodes of General Hospital. Smith told talk show host Tamron Hall that he has been a soap opera fan since childhood. He first did a cameo as a reporter on GH in 2007, but after he talked about his love of the show on ESPN's show called First Take, he was invited back to the soap uh, in 2016 for a scene as Brick, and that turned into a recurring role. Question. Around last year, an independent movie was released where the premise had a composer living in a war zone, probably in Europe in the 17 or 1800s. Because of his circumstances, he wrote a beautiful Christmas carol. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the movie. Answer. That was I Heard the Bells, a 2022 movie about American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's journey to writing the poem, which became the song I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Starring Stephen Atherholt as Longfellow, the movie is available on DVD or for rent uh, digitally. Question. Do you know what happened to So You Think You Can Dance? I loved watching that show in the summer. Answer. When I answered this uh, original question several months ago, it wasn't clear if the Fox competition series had a future, but the network recently announced the return of the show for an 18th season in March of 2024. In a revised format, Fox says season 18 will infuse the long-running hit with a new format, uh, reflecting the authentic experience of building a successful career in dance. Each week, contestants will compete in new intense dance challenges that will give them a real taste of the career, from performing in a music video or football halftime show to going toe-to-toe -to -toe on stage with a Broadway performer. There will also be documentary-style looks at the dancers and the customary big production numbers. And that's all the time we get for today's reading of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier for Monday, December 11, with a little bit of content thrown in from Saturday and Sunday as well. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. You can catch podcasts of this and many of our programs on our website, iowaradioreading.org. I've been your reader, Mary Francis. Thanks for listening and Thanks for supporting your Iris, Iowa's first and only radio reading service. Mm -hmm.